Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. I'm Adam Perry, your host today and editor of Event Industry News. Um, before we get started, um, as you may have already seen, uh, the registration for Event Tech Live US and Canada is now open, um, happening on the 8th and 9th of June. And you can actually go and register either by visiting eventtechlive.com or actually uh, scanning that handy QR code up in the top hand corner that should take you direct to the registration page. If you are an event organizer, agency, planner um, or looking at event technology then you can register under our hosted buyer VIP ticket for 100% free and also while we're on the subject of events the entries for the event technology awards are also open now and you can see a full list of categories over at eventtechnologyawards.co.uk. If you missed the last episode, which was episode five, we discussed events on the blockchain and how that might affect the events industry. So if you're interested in blockchain, crypto technologies, NFTs, these are big things in the news at the moment. You've probably seen headlines come out left, right and center about crypto and NFTs. Go and check that out. Um, it's available on eventtechlive.com under our podcast and news section or head over to Apple Podcasts or YouTube and it's all there and you can actually quickly get to it by going to eventtechtalks.com. So on today's podcast, um, my guest is Katie Mohan, yeah. the director of 5283. And for those that don't know, they are a specialist communications agency for events and the live entertainment industries. Um, before we get into it, please feel free to, free to interact with me and Katie, ask us questions, comment, we'll bring those on screen and get you guys involved. So Katie, welcome to an episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No, it's not a problem. You've had quite the career in the event, the events industry. So before we get into today's subject, could you just give everybody a brief background about where you started in the events and what your, mm -hmm. your, your career in the events industry looks like? Yeah, sure. So I started about 16 years ago um, as in Reed Exhibitions was my first event. And I actually worked on the customer service team. So picking up phones, um, I was just thinking about it the other day. It was at that transition when people were going from paper manuals to exhibitor manuals. Okay. So our job was to um, answer calls and queries from visitors and exhibitors. And this is for like World Travel Market, the own DSCI at the same time. So it was lots of irate exhibitors, um, which I think was really interesting because it was a sort of a transformation at that time to more digital and event tech. Um, but from there, I then went on to the marketing teams at Reed and I worked on IBTM, London mm -hmm. Book Fair, um, some of the bigger trade shows. Um, I then moved to Easy Fairs and became event director. I then left Easy Fairs to start my own marketing agency, um, originally for event organizers, and we still support event organizers, but we also support event technology companies and suppliers and helping them getting seen by organizers. So everything we do is um, events. And in the last two years, we've really been supporting um, suppliers who also support the live industries. So mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about the definitions and what that means. But we're seeing a lot broader definitions of what event means and what live means. So we've sort of pivoted our business for want of a better word to support those those um, suppliers as well. So you were right there, right when technology was kind of coming in and trying to take away that that those faxes and those papers for those exhibit right? and digitize it all, right? Does it does the does the last year or so feel like that that point in your life in that in at that point in your career? 
I didn't think about it at the time, but I think I was recently writing something for um, something, um, an article for something, and I and I just thought, yeah, God, I've been through like I've been through this before. I've seen, and I think that's why passion is um, event organizers kind of get in my way. I'm really interested about their customers. So sometimes, you know, we and I've been when I, I've been guilty of it when I'm running marketing campaigns or sales campaigns. It's that legacy. It's that well, we've always done it this way, whereas actually. I'm really passionate about why people exhibit um, and we do a lot of work on the ground as well, trying to get local businesses and small businesses mm. to go to events and to see events as a marketing, a valid marketing platform. So yeah, I'm quite passionate about it. Awesome. <laughs> well, today we're here to talk about a recent LinkedIn report. I, I guess the kind of report that maybe some of your customers or the people that you work with would would put out. And that's why we've mm. got you on to kind of dissect it as that that PR guru of kind of like, and and I think the experience that you have got in organizing, running and delivering events as well. So this this article that LinkedIn pull, um, put out, and I'm just going to bring it onto stream now, uh, onto, onto stream now, sorry, was that 45% of future B2B events will be completely virtual according to the research that they've done, which I think is really interesting. I'm just going to remove that for a second. That That's quite a polarizing um kind of statement to suggest that half of our industry in the future won't have a physical element mm. what, what was your thoughts and feelings when you saw that that headline I think my initial um it, I feel like that throws up more questions than it does answers mm-hmm. um it made me think of um this whole definition of what an event is what is a b2b event Mm. Um, you know, if I'd said to you, we've known each other for quite a few years, and if I'd said to you in 2018, oh, I'm running an event, and then I put on a Zoom webinar series, you'd laugh. You'd absolutely laugh at me in the pub and probably make some snarky remark. Um, but actually, in the last 12 months, we have now embraced the definition, the changing definition of events. And I think that's a really positive thing. I think it's mm. It's going to lead to changes that, and it's pushing us forward as an events industry in, in, in its entirety. And I think that's only a positive thing. But I, from looking at the report, I just I questioned about what they meant about virtual events because I don't know about you, but I've attended lots of different virtual events over the last twelve months. Um, I feel like I've been constantly in a virtual event, and and the virtual offering is different for every type of event. I never know what I'm going to expect. I think that's such a good point. And and let's be honest, if we actually looked at it, I guess a virtual event in the guise of webinars, they've been around for decades now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was a long, long time ago, the first ever webinar by, I think it was Citrix or Cisco or something that, that kind of pushed that technology out there. Mm-hmm. And over time, they were actually the things that people tried to avoid, right? Because they just felt like they were going to be hardcore sales pitches by corporate companies that used them to kind of support the sales team and support the marketing so we, we kind of I think everybody as much as they can switched off from from webinars really I I didn't see webinars being really hugely used by people but then mm. virtual events came in and and I think what we saw actually was a lot of virtual events that were just rebranded webinars to start off yeah. with then as an industry we've kind of tried to grasp them and utilize that technology as professional organizers to maintain I guess, income, revenue, and the support of our kind of niches that we work in, 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 in our events ecosystem. But you are right. It's like, what, what is it? What's the definition of a virtual event now? Because there's no clear parameters, is there, on mm-hmm. format, length, content, engagement, 
the the makeup, the design of it. It's just, I guess it's this, isn't it? Is this a virtual event? It's we've got mm. four attendees at the moment. Um, mm. It is lunchtime, to be fair. <laughs> uh, everybody's probably in the pub. Um, you know, is this a virtual event now? Like, mm. ha- do you have any kind of thoughts on how we might, as an industry, define what a virtual event is? Because now we're talking about hybrid already, and it's like, well, what's that? Yeah, I don't think we need to. I don't think there's a need to. I think it's really good because there are some. So I'm obsessed with people that don't go to events. Do you know? Do you know? There's people out there who don't go to events who hate them. I don't know. I've, I've met don't them. Believe them. I don't believe them. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like those people, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> but they're my. They're, I'm finding them really fascinating because if we could convert some of those into people who would love events, but maybe. You know, there's there's people that have interacted with event brands who have never in, been able to interact with event brands before. And that's for so many different reasons. You know, we always talk about in the trade show world, we talk about conversion. So, you know, standards trade show would convert, mm, I'm going to be kind and say 50% of their registrations. So we always are obsessed with who, why did that 50% not come to the trade show? Now, before it's been time pressures etc etc but what if you could convert them in at least 20 more percent into interacting with your brand online mm-hmm. you know your event brand all of a sudden becomes bigger and your conversation is bigger and you've got access to more data and you've got access to more reach i think it's bill gates who says it's a fool that thinks in the next couple of years you've got to think in the next 10 years you know there are real problems facing our planet you know, sustainability um, and sustainability and accessibility as well. You know, think of those people who can't physically get to your event. They still want to interact with your brand. So how do you service those guys? And I think the great thing about the last year is it's made people, you should be doing hybrid, not because a hybrid event is the thing to do. You should be doing hybrid and you should be looking at what, what you're serving your customers it's a great time to drop the legacy if a trade show isn't serving your customer and your audience anymore or a corporate conference isn't serving your customers anymore what can you do now what do they actually want to do and now is the time to change it so I think it's a really exciting time because a lot of people can go we're not going to spend money on doing that we're going to spend money on doing that instead and your customers are so much more adaptable at this time this is like a pivotal moment for a lot of event brands I think yeah I'm I'm interested. I think one of the first things I looked at this and I was like, it says B2B events. So mm. I think initially your thoughts would be that this is what I would class as the professional event organizing community, your trade shows, your your, your for-profit event organizers, right? That That's what that headline suggested to me. But once you actually, I think, start to dissect the content, it's, it's not actually talking about that. To some degree, yes, I guess, Every event organizer, every professional event organizer out there is going to probably launch some form of virtual events to kind of capitalize on that revenue as well, or that desire for somebody to just sponsor that or exhibit at that. But it's not suggesting that 45% of those previously physical events will now transition to being fully virtual. It's more akin to talking about probably actually the corporate world, me and you as businesses, now, utilizing that technology in order to reach our community and our customers on mm. our own terms, um, maybe as an alternative choice to going to a traditional trade show and event, do you think? Well, it's quite interesting. We do a lot of work here on the ground. So we're in Hayward Teeth in Sussex. 
And we do um, a lot of work with our local business association. And they were going to completely remove live events from their, I mean, it's a small networking events, right? So it's 100 local businesses. And they lost loads of members because loads of members said, and actually they lost them during the pandemic as well, because they said the only valuable part of my association membership is meeting other business owners in a B2B way. And that that was the value that they got out of that experience. So I, I think, again, it, it's down to the definition of what you think virtual is, but it's it's listening to your customer and it's saying, okay, well, do they is, is virtual really a good, a good way for them? I, I think that's a really interesting point. And let's just pick that apart because this report, it says here, was 200 B2B event organizers. Yes. If I'm honest... That's kind of a disappointing figure considering how big LinkedIn is and how probably every event organizer is probably on that platform. And at the time that this report was being done, was probably engaged enough to give their thoughts and feelings considering their industry had been pretty much decimated over the last 12 months, right? Like, yes, why, yeah. why did, did you get the report? Did you get a request of the report? I said, no, 200 is not. I don't know. Explorer would have tell you, I'm sure, that 200 is not as a good enough sample size. It, it's not significant, is it, when we're talking about an entire global sector? Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, let's take Event Tech Live as, a, as an event for about two and a half, three thousand people. If I got an initial response rate as an event organizer on an NPS of, of, of 10, 20 percent, I'd be pretty happy. I, I think that's mm. a, I, could, I could quantify the results based on that. But when we're talking about the amount of people on LinkedIn and the amount of us as an industry that are on there, I also mm. didn't, I don't see any kind of associations referenced or any of their members or anything like that. It seems like a bit of a reach. So my question then on that is, are they the right people to ask? Should we be asking, like you just suggested, the customers of the event organizers on what yeah. their objectives are? And I think that um, that's a really interesting question because I think that, you know, where does the event organizers are the wrong people to ask? You should be asking your customers. You should also be asking the CMOs because when we talk about, I was talking to experiential agencies the other day and they were saying that actually, uh, you know, a, a real life event is not just, it's a certain budget, right? In your whole marketing PL. So you might have had an event budget, you might have had a digital budget. Where does virtual events sit in there? To assume that virtual event budgeting will come just purely from your existing event budget is, is just fundamentally incorrect because mm. it starts crossing over into digital. And I've suggested to some of um, my sort of uh, event organizers who are selling commercially um, sponsorship for virtual events, when they go, oh, no, sorry, we've got no event budget. Well, where's your digital budget? Yeah. What's your, what are you spending on your digital? That's the question you should be asking. So I don't think, and event organizers, we react to, as I said before, we react to what our audiences are asking. So what are our audiences spending their money on and what do they want to get out of it? And I think that um, it's going to be, it's going to, the, the budgets are going to be sliced so differently that it's not going to come from that one part. We'd be foolish to think that, oh, 10 million pounds are spent on marketing budget for X company. They're going to now spend 5% on 5 million on um, virtual and the rest will be on events. It won't be. They'll be recarving that marketing budget completely yeah. differently. I think I think that's a really interesting point. And, and that's, it. that's a bit of a transition in the way that we're planning and designing events and the, the terminology and the communication, the value that we're presenting to our customers, right? And then I guess also a, a change in thinking of, as, a, as I guess a, a company 
participate in an event, what is the value I'm getting at this? And what is it akin to that I do elsewhere in my marketing? And like you said, it's it's very, very close to, to marketing. I guess every event will have a different price point, right, to, 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 to participate in their event. But I think in terms of a justification of like value, I think the quickest comparison that somebody can probably take is, well, if I took that budget and pumped it into LinkedIn marketing, Google marketing, Facebook marketing, or uh, the, the, I don't know, our own database marketing and stuff like that, what do I think I would um, spend there? And how many leads and how much push through to our website and stuff would I get? I think one of the things that actually those things don't do as well as potentially virtual events do is create those conversations, mm. potentially. Um, yes. so people have got very sophisticated marketing solutions and programs in place that do get people to pick up the phone or at least email inquire and they do transition onto conversations. There's also the, the value of being associated with an event, right? And with mm. a community and that visibility and that. That's really hard to get online. I mean, people do go off and try and engage in forums and other kind of aspects of that to get that community, don't they? We see like Facebook is like just, I feel like Facebook is just groups now and if yes. your, your community yes. and your niche or your, your you know, what you want to, whatever you want to talk about. I've, I'm a member of a couple of pizza um, communities <laughs> on Facebook, I don't mind admitting. I know because we're friends on Facebook and I think <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will send you one. I will send you one. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think it's a transition of where is that budget coming from and what pot does it sit on? And maybe mm. the will maybe actual the virtual event play will actually come more out of the digital marketing budget. Um and it'll be a combination of the 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 marketing team deciding and also maybe the sales and outreach team kind of also putting that forward. Yeah. Um one of the things that um one of the things that you mentioned was that this was kind of contradictory to a recent Gartner report that, mm. that came out. Um, I know we were scrambling before this to kind of try and find that report. But can yeah. you remember specifically what it was about that report that you felt that was had, had a difference of opinion to the one that LinkedIn's pushed out? Yeah, so the Gartner report, and I will share it with you after this, it's called the Gartner Playbook Predictions. So Gartner obviously released lots of um, marketing um, guides, and, if, and, and I'm sure some of the others do, McKinsey and EY and stuff. And I think, and I really recommend these Gartner reports. They're really interesting. Mm-hmm. And they predicted um, from this, what they've surveyed from the CMO level, that really strategic CMO level, that by 2023, 63% of CMOs who pivoted to digital will be going back into some form of real experience, real life experience. And then the report's quite interesting because it says sort of four or five things that they need to now think about to, to do that. But it was, um, it sort of echoes something as well that um, Mary Portis, Queen of Shops, she's been talking about the death of the high street. And she's like, mm. thank God, thank God the high street's dying. Because the way you interact with shops nowadays is so dire. And it's the same, I think, with some of the, the live events. You know, they're just so, you think about your experience when you go into like a, a Next or, you know, Debenhams. Oh, God, it's just, it's just not a reality. It's just not akin to how we think as people. So sometimes things need to die in order for, to, to reinvent that. And, and this report from Gartner basically says that 
the brands that have pivoted to serving digital are great, but by 2023, they need to go back into that real life experience so they can interact and engage with their customers on a more personal level. Because we think about the kindness economy and what we're talking about, sustainability, and how people are consuming things in their day-to-day lives and how that's changing. We need to now start applying that to a B2B world because that is going to, the choices they make in their personal lives are spilling into their their corporate lives and people and the young people coming through are are quite happy to challenge you know if they're if they're not if they're trying to be um you know good with their uh, carbon um output and they're good at not traveling they're going to say to their boss well why do i need to fly to that country to go to that trade show when i can just have a a couple of meetings online they're gonna that's gonna start being pushed back and uh, i think um we really need to justify that that spend so going back to the gartner report the CMOs are going to need to start creating a real life experience. They didn't necessarily say events, but they said a real life in-person experience to engage with their audiences. So I think that does contradict um, the fact that 50, 45% of everything will be on virtual. Yeah. That's how I, I read it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a really interesting one in the sense of part of me does think there's, there could be some truth to what LinkedIn is saying in the sense that it will be an explosion of new events by people that don't necessarily see themselves as event organizers and Mm. they're not not necessarily doing it for the reasons a traditional event would do which is about bringing people together for that human connection for that networking for that serendipity that happens at an event around a bar the the networking bits like okay you should be Dave, because you guys should really chat. And, mm. and there's so much value in that. Like, I know we've got the Event Tech Lab barbecue coming up. There's no other objective about that event apart from bringing people together that probably haven't seen each other for such a long time. And mm. to be fair, that's the only value that it needs. But when it comes to this, expl- and I think it's an explosion of virtual events, it's more like everybody's now got a, now got the tool to be able to be an event organizer or to put on events. Mm. the same way probably webinar technology went everybody probably started launching webinars when webinar technology came out and it's it's kind of now this this the 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 idea of hosting an event has become democratized so Mm. if you've got anything from a a, a few hundred quid probably to, to tens of thousands of dollars or pounds or whatever you want to put call it you can probably put on an event of scale that suits Mm. your your needs so i wonder whether this is driven by the fact that they're going to see an explosion of people all of a sudden. And, and we think it's probably been busy over the last year. I wonder if it's just going to be just a swath of, of virtual events. Mm. I don't know what you think to this as well, but do you think there's anything else underlying that is driving um, kind of LinkedIn's reasoning for putting a report out like this? And if you don't mind before, before you answer that, I'm just going to pull yeah. up on screen for everybody part of the actual report which is which is really interesting sorry if you can't um see this guys i I try to zoom in as much as possible um it's it's saying the majority of event organizers 88 percent arranged a virtual event webinar funnily enough it mentions webinar or online talk last year i mean we we couldn't do anything else. We we couldn't no. organize a physical event. So the, I, I, the other the other twenty odd percent were lying down with a gin and tonic somewhere, going, "Oh my god, my whole career is down the toilet." That's what that you know. 
that's it. So that and that's the that's the what the the twelve uh, the twenty is it twelve or twenty? I can't quick maths. Um, the, the rest of that percentage. That's what they yeah. were doing. They were they were yeah. they were drinking gin. So yeah. I, I, I'm personally taking that with a pinch of salt. It's like well, there was no alternative, so it's a bit of a weak stat, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Data from LinkedIn's own platform. This is where it gets interesting. It shows that LinkedIn live streams increased over four hundred percent year on year, and LinkedIn live broadcaster. Um, I'm not sure the definition or the difference between those two, um, increased nearly 500%. In fact, in December, 12,000 events were hosted a week within a, with a combined half a million attendees. Again, I doubt all of those actually turned up. They probably just registered for it on LinkedIn because they were like, there's nothing else to do. Um, and by pivoting this way, 81% of organizers say virtual events provided opportunities that would not have been there otherwise. And that last sentence makes me feel that they're saying that they were the bit that actually made that happen in terms of their platform was the, was the savior of, of all of those organizers being able to organize a virtual event, mm. which to me is not. LinkedIn is a has become for virtual events a marketing platform. You know, you can invite your connections. You can now ask people to register. So it's a data lead capture opportunity. And then you push them somewhere else. So do you think there's something underlying there? Because I get that sense of that feeling. By all means, please do disagree with me. But <laughs> it, it, it seems to me like they're saying virtual events are the big, big biggest thing coming because they're going to play an in, or they feel they're going to play an integral role in, mm. in part of that ecosystem. Well, it's quite interesting because when they first start that line, it says virtual events, webinars or live streams, I think, were the three categories. Mm -hmm. And then at at the end, they wrap it in. So they obviously feel like their version of LinkedIn broadcast is an event, whereas I would see it as a webinar, a live stream. Yeah. Yeah. So they themselves are muddying the water, I think. And I you know, maybe they'll look to launch into virtual event spaces. But, you know, again, it comes down to that definition of what you think a virtual event is compared to, to, you know, and LinkedIn are not the saviours of uh, of the events. Sorry, anybody to LinkedIn watching this. um, (laughs) Katie said it, so it's It's me, it's not always not Adam. (laughs) I think there's some really interesting points in there. Uh, First and foremost, um, this is not an event, I would argue. This is a live stream. This is mm-hmm. this is a, a way for us to engage the community and allow people to engage and ask questions and things like that if they want to. So there is some engagement there, but there's no community network. There's no other elements of what I would class at the real core principles of an event to make an event really, really work. Yeah. Um, so and I if think- I put my cynical hat on, sorry, if I put my cynical yeah. hat on, you know, if you, um, if anyone's watched Social Dilemma on Netflix, I know exactly where I'm coming from. You know, all of these platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram, are prioritizing video content, right? Mm-hmm. So through stories and through through reels now. And why is that? It's because it's addictive. You know, watching live, watching videos, watching reels are addictive. And their job is to keep you in their platform for as long as you possibly can. They are the Vegas, you know, of your virtual world. So if I put my cynical hat on for a moment, I can't help but think that because their algorithm on LinkedIn is, you know, they prioritize video and they're they're just just as much as the others. So if you're sitting on LinkedIn talking about Facebook, you're in the same world. 
Yeah. And, and they're prioritizing that for their own gain. They want to keep you addicted. They want to keep you in their platform. So, yeah, so my cynicism there says that they're going to say that because they want you to stay in LinkedIn. I have to agree. The, the whole, um, well, for a start, I've heard on good, um, good authority that if you want to be approved for LinkedIn Live Broadcast, the more native video that you upload, to LinkedIn at the moment increases your chances quite substantially of being accepted for LinkedIn yeah. Live. Um, so anybody there, uh, uh, I'm trying my best to do that because I've still not been approved. Um, <laughs> but you know, so that so that kind of feeds into that narrative of the more native video, the more that you are pushing on LinkedIn natively and keeping people within the ecosystem, the the more that they value as a I guess as a member of the community in terms of accessing to their extra tools. Mm. on the basis that you're probably going to use that tool to do more of that within again within their ecosystem and it's all about engagement isn't it it's about you know increasing do people's dopamine levels of like oh yeah I've just you know somebody's liked somebody's commented somebody shared you know there's a great example of that of actually of, of, of a post that gleaning put out the other day and it just it just blew up didn't it because of the amount of engagement that it was getting and i guess video and live stream content kind of really plays even more into that of in the moment people people commenting and I would say that there's also probably an underlying ad revenue kind of uh, side to it. The more time people spend on LinkedIn, the more ads they're being served, the more revenue and ROI that they can show to their to their advertisers. So LinkedIn and Facebook, they're not they're publishers, but they're not they're, they're self-published platforms, aren't they? In the sense that they rely on the content that we as the community create in order to drive engagement and content. They don't. They don't, they're not like a traditional magazine or newspaper where somebody writes it, publishes it, and then the, then people read and comment on it. Mm. We actually do that. Mm. So that's got to mean more money for them in terms of more people, more dwell time, more revenue. Um, yeah. I think that's an interesting point. And maybe they're starting to look at some of the, um, the money that some of these big platforms are starting to get. Uh, we've seen some very publicized um, investment into the virtual event market. And maybe they're like, oh, you know what, we can start selling that as an add-on. We can start, you know, I'm, I'm subscribed to LinkedIn Learning and I pay a subscription to about 22, 20, 22 27 pounds a month. The amount of courses that I do on LinkedIn, it's a great tool, but the amount of tools that I actually have probably, courses I've probably done, probably could have gone to a real life one. Um, but, you know, they'll probably be micro-subscriptions. They'll probably start getting into that micro-subscription world. Absolutely. Everybody knows in the tech world, at least, that the higher your annual recurring revenue are, the higher the valuation of your business. And those those small amounts, £27 on the face of it, it's, it's not a huge amount, is it, for what we would probably deem as a huge amount of value. And this goes for every virtual event. I think the, the one of the benefits of virtual events will be the speed and cost effectiveness in which you can access information as an individual. But that does mean big money. And, you know, they're all, LinkedIn are ultimately owned by Microsoft. We can see the way that Microsoft are going. They've just tried to acquire Discord. They've been told no to like 12 billion. So is a virtual event platform really that far out of the realms of being acquired? Mm. Could they just build it themselves? You know, maybe that's what Hopping's building for. They want to be, you know, taken on by a LinkedIn or an Adobe. By the way, I don't know if that's absolutely true. If that's just me, <laughs> you know, hypothesizing. Um, if it happens, if it happens, you're going to be done for... Uh... Trade trade secrets. Trade secrets. <laughs> there is one thing, and it, and it does come back to that revenue. Mm. LinkedIn, when it first started off, was a recruitment tool. That's how mm. they drove that business. And recruitment has evolved and changed. And, and I'm sure still a huge amount of LinkedIn's revenue comes from that, but they are evolving as a business. 
And then I look to the way that Facebook have just recently gone and LinkedIn must be close behind. As an event organizer, I'm now getting told that I can sell my tickets to my events through Facebook. Mm. So now they are becoming a ticketing agent. They're going to take a, they're going to take a percentage and then an administrative charge or, or stripe fee or whatever on that. And in the B2B world, that could be billions of dollars of revenue to them in just simply allowing people to register direct on LinkedIn and not have to use another registration system. Yeah. And if that's for a virtual event, even better. And I think in the B2B world, you know, before with, with Facebook, there's still be some people, myself included, that be a bit dubious about registering via Facebook because it's my it's my personal. No one needs to see pictures of my cat. However, you know, on LinkedIn, it is my professional platform and it's totally professional. So I would have no problem in buying a ticket via LinkedIn. Sorry for any registration companies. <laughs> yeah, no, we, 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 I've got we, no we, registration clients, so it's not like <laughs> we might be putting the, we might be putting the fear of of God up a few registration or, or other technology providers that kind of help organisers do that professionally. Because I guess you know, even even Event Tech Live, we kind of invest some money into LinkedIn in order to get visibility of of our audience acquisition play. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I think that's everybody's everybody's strategy, right? Um, now, if I can get a better visibility through LinkedIn because they're gonna, they want to sell as many tickets as possible to my event because they're gonna make money out of that. And also maybe some of those registration questions or those awful things that you have to fill out on virtual event platforms all the time can be sucked out of your um, LinkedIn profile because it's the most mm-hmm. up-to-date information about you in a B2B environment. That makes the process a lot, stream, a lot more streamlined and simpler. Then there's also a lot of data and analytics that can be fed back to LinkedIn on kind of turnout rates and engagement that they could probably sell to somebody else as well on the back yeah. of it. So yeah, I mean, how much money would you save if you didn't have to have a PPC campaign? If you didn't have to have, which then led to your event registration company, which then led to you know, if you, how much money would you save? Just give it to LinkedIn. It's it's it'd be quite a lot, I imagine. They'll make it competitive. Well, yeah, I think I think you're right. When you when you looked at it holistically as a combined, um, you know, we have to pay a reg company, we pay a PPC company, we we do this, we do that. LinkedIn's relatively expensive, I think, to market anything through. Um, mm. I think the average cost per click is something like fifty dollars or something like that um, mm. in actual spend. But if they're if they're if they're going to get some revenue back from your users, then maybe they can make that a bit more cost effective on the organizer side but still make some revenue so i think i think there mm-hmm. is i think underlying on this what what i'm reading out of it and and also everybody that's watching or listening to this back there was a very nice line that as a part of the linkedin learning platform that katie just mentioned and she's a member of so there's a play for that as well um i'm i, I think everybody that's listening and watching i'm personally not saying that this report doesn't have some truth to it um mm-hmm. i think linkedin are, are are clever enough and wise enough and they've got some you know really interesting people working for them that it won't put something out that wasn't based on some fact but it, it does ring to me that it's very pro virtual events on the basis that there's something else going off in the background at, at foot as a play within their business that has pushed them to put because i've also asked for the report and i've not seen it nobody's mm. getting it for me and also it's um we're doing a lot of this work so you can see it you know organic seo they're just driving that you know it's full of your keywords search terms 
um, it, it, it sort of writes itself. Some, some of the, even some of the sentences, I'm like, that's not, it feels like it's been written by a bot rather than mm. written by a human being. Sorry, the person who wrote it. But that's how, when I write, when I read it, that's how I read it. It's like, oh, there's quite a lot of keywords in there. Yeah, yeah, that's very, that's a very interesting point. I didn't think about that, actually. Uh, maybe it was written by one of the new GTP3 AI kind of. Uh, yeah. Do something on virtual events. And, went, oh, right, okay, there we go. and really, they should backlink to that report, right? That. that that was the interesting thing. Like, as the editor of Venture News, generally when anybody sends me any kind of content, this is from the teams that like Explorey or associations and stuff like that. As the, as the editor, you always get sight of that report in depth, in full. And, and generally, if you want, you can also ask for to see some of the cardhold data and results of it to kind of back mm. that up. Because we have a duty of care to make sure that what they're actually saying is factual. And I think LinkedIn have pushed this out going, well, LinkedIn, people will just believe it mm. without any proof or having to actually, because it's, apart from this release that got put out, there's no other kind of meat to, on the bones. There's no other evidence or anything like that. It doesn't go into any more detail. Mm. So it's, it's very superficial, maybe is yes. the right word to use. Yeah. What, what would you have done differently if you were writing this report, Katie, or you were pushing this out? So I would have asked a much bigger sector, as you say, 200 people, especially when you've got access to thousands. I'd also look at it in a much more granular level. Mm-hmm. So um, what does that mean? What does, how do people define B2B? I would give more data and more stats to make it more interesting um, and generate more conversation. Um, so we've got two. So we're a digital first agency, which means that everything we do, every output that we have, thinks about things on a digital in a digital way. And that doesn't mean that we don't love live events because we do. But we see digital as a really good way of attracting attention, attracting leads, building your online reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I've got two things. Um, that I always ask myself whenever we're sending anything out or whether we're creating reports for clients or whenever we're talking to clients. Firstly, would people talk about it in the pub? So LinkedIn to tick because we, we here we, we've they've got us talking about it. Um, you put it on Twitter and I noticed that quite a few influential people actually said, hang on a second. So they've done that. The second thing is, does it gener- go back to your website? Can it only be seen on your website? Can people mm. only get that traffic from your website? So that's what any any PR that we do. Um, that's what we. That's how we talk to our clients, and that's how we encourage them to think when they're putting out press releases and when they're trying to do their backlink strategy and organic SEO. So when I look at this piece, I'm like, has it got us talking? Yes, it has. Is it only available on their website with zero other backlinks? Yes. And so for me, again, with my cynical hat, I don't think it's to come off, but <laughs> with my cynical hat on, I'm like, it's just a bit of, it's just a bit of PR that they put out there. It's not your cynical hat, it's your marketing and PR strategic hat <laughs> that you are wearing that is telling you, as I think you're right, you know, um, there's, there's, there's always multiple reasons for people putting something out. And I think this is a play also into that you know, the thousands of hours of learning that is now available on LinkedIn. I've even seen a few event industry people kind of pop up with courses promoted for virtual event production or organizing virtual events and things like that. So there's, mm. there's obviously that as well. Yeah, really and I think that's great, by the way. I think that these, that new and that new set, subsector of virtual event organizers and producers, that's really that's such, that's go, so good. It's, we're not just event organizers anymore. We're also virtual event organizers and 
you know, it's a really nice to have a new wave of people. And actually, they're more tech, techie and tech-based. They come out at things with a different interest. And um, talking to them is really interesting, I think. Yeah, I, I think that has to be one thing to be said for, again, for virtual events or for being able to deliver things digitally. The, the access that then everybody has to that information, that content, I, the the industries that I think are going to have the hardest times are the universities, the Yales, mm. the Harvards. Like a huge amount of their revenue comes from having to have people on campus. Mm. And as Elon Musk said, you need to really go to a to a place like that. You can literally every piece of information is on the tip of your fingers from a Google search now. Mm. Um, I would counteract that though with um, when I two things. Firstly, when I think of my university, I do not think. On my time at university, I do not think of the courses or lectures. Can you remember it? If I turned up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I might have missed um, a one or two. Sorry, man. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, that's not what I think of when I think of a university experience. And secondly, and probably this is because I'm watching the good fight at the moment, but when those, you know, if you're talking about Yale or you're talking about any of the, the Ivy League universities, when people go to them, they study things like law and medicine. You know, if you're start studying law, you need to be able to argue with people and you need to be able to have discussion. And all of that is only really done properly in person. You can do it online, but you know, we went to see a client today because we're, we're generating a verbal identity for their business. But we could have done that over Zoom. Luckily, they're in a train ride yeah. away for 20 minutes. But sitting in front of them, and having a coffee, we uncovered more in 45 minutes having a coffee and asking those questions. We all know there's questions that you can ask in person that you just can't ask online. Ask anybody who runs a team and who's having to do that virtually at the moment. They can't have those tricky, having those tricky conversations with people. Just to, it's, it's really hard to have online. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, that's, that's segued onto really my final question and this is a new thing I'm starting um as part of the event tech talks because I just I'm just interested okay so this is a question that I would ask you across the uh, across the table but to finish off what's on your bucket list for this year for you personally one thing on my bucket list what's experience yeah something that you're doing looking to do mm. just share that with us that's a really tricky question I think um well I'm getting married this year <laughs> all wedding think, presents can be sent to the PR box yeah, yeah that QR code I'll tell you yeah. that. uh, that's the John Lewis uh, <laughs> wedding, wedding gift list isn't it yeah I think my my thing my aim for this year is just to reconnect personally with everybody in my private life and um and our clients and you know from a business perspective also people that we we want to meet up with but in my private life it's just to reconnect with people I just want to have a drink in a pub and it's probably not um I'm sure there's lots of people having much more interesting bucket lists but for me it's just those personal connections with people yeah I went for my first pint yesterday and it was it was oh. it was glorious I must have <laughs> Katie, thank you very much for coming on to talk about this. I know it's a, it's a slightly different episode of Event Tech Talks than we usually talk to. We're usually really into, you know, technology specifically. But I think, you know, when somebody like LinkedIn puts something this out, it deserves a conversation. I'm sure many people have had conversations about this report offline as well. Um, for anybody that's watching or live or watching this on replay, 
if they want to connect up with you, where's the best place to go? Well, we're about to launch our new website, which isn't that exciting news for everybody else, but it is exciting for us. So um, press release. About it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so you can either just LinkedIn connect with me um, or you can go to 5283.com. Um, and um, visit our website and there's sign up there to a newsletter um, and all of our you can meet all of our team and see what we do as well awesome well thank you very much for coming on today guys if you enjoyed today's podcast or live session please do share it with your network go and check out the previous episodes on eventtechlive.com under the podcast section um invite your friends to the next one we have some really exciting episodes coming up around virtual fundraising, using AI and uh, to um, produce uh, clips of your event and, in, and push engagement to your audience through on-demand solutions. So do subscribe, do follow us, and we'll see you in the next one.